Chapter Twenty Four of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. By half past eight o'clock, Edgar Adelon was at the door of the old workhouse at Langley. The building had long been disused, but though not in the best order in the world, it could not be said to have fallen into decay. When a harsh and parsimonious law was substituted for one which was excellent in itself, but had been long and sadly misused, when poverty was first virtually pronounced criminal, and punished by statute, when the vices of the past and the follies of rich magistrates were visited upon the present generation, and upon the heads of the poor, when those whom God had joined together were put asunder by legislation, and when a deputy parliament, irresponsible directly to the people, was created to make laws and regulations for those who are denied a voice in the Senate, or a vote at an election, when the medical attendance of the sick and the needy was first contracted for by scores, as bullocks and sheep are paid for at a toll-gate, when charity put on a pedant's gown, and national benevolence was circumscribed by iron theories, the poor of Langley had been transferred to the Union House, and the old workhouse had been put up to auction. It was bought by a person who wished to establish a school, a wild eccentric clever philanthropist who fancied that he could bend man's stubborn nature to his own utopian schemes of excellence the school however as might have been expected proved a complete failure and after keeping it up for two years he abandoned it in despair no purchaser could be found to take the building off his hands and leaving the charge of it to an old man and his wife he spent a few pounds annually in checking the course of decay but seemed to forget it altogether, except when he paid the bills. There was a little space of ground round it, and a low wall, and within that wall Edgar Adelon now stood, waiting for the coming of his guide. He doubted not that the person he sought was to be discovered within the large, rambling old building, and finding that his impatient spirit had carried him thither a good deal before the time, he walked round it more than once, looking up at the windows to see if he could discover the room which norris inhabited all was dark however except where from a room on the ground floor close to the door streamed forth a solitary light and mounting the steps the young gentleman looked in and perceived the old man in charge and his wife seated at their little fire he now began to doubt that norris was there it might merely be a place of rendezvous he thought and as time wore on he fancied that his guide was long in coming and then that he would not come the night formed a strong contrast with the last it was fine and calm and clear and at length a step was heard at a good distance approaching rapidly edgar would not wait for the newcomer's approach but went to meet him and in a few minutes he perceived the figure of martin oldkirk i say you are too soon said the man i am before my time but come on and we shall soon find him we want now wait here for me a minute he continued when they reached the door of the workhouse and walking round towards the back he disappeared after remaining impatiently for about five minutes edgar thought he heard a bolt withdrawn and expected to gain admission but the sound ceased again and in an instant or two afterwards he heard a step once more the next moment the voice of oldkirk called him and he found the countryman standing at the western angle of the building. "'Stop a minute, Mr. Adlon,' said the man. 
are you very sure that you have not let out the secret to any one to no one upon earth answered edgar you surely do not suspect me of such baseness no sir i don't suspect you of baseness at all replied oldkirk but young gentlemen will be imprudent sometimes i have not in this instance at all events answered edgar i have not said a word to anybody which could give the slightest idea of whither i was going when i came out it is strange enough answered the other in a thoughtful tone there are two men and a little boy standing talking together at this hour of night at the corner of the lane they seem to be doing nothing i wonder what they can want nothing connected with me depend upon it answered edgar becoming somewhat impatient it seems to me nothing unusual that two men should be standing there talking but the boy comes from a place close by brandon replied oldkirk i dare say it's all right however so we had better go in and proceeding to the door near which edgar had been waiting he opened it first lifting the latch the first room they came to was a little stone hall where paupers had often waited for their daily allowance of bread or meat or soup or for medical aid and there edgar adelon paused while oldkirk shut and bolted the door now we must find our way in the dark said the latter as soon as he had completed his task it won't do to carry a light about here keep close behind me sir following his footsteps edgar went forward through the door which closed behind them with a weight and pulley and then along a stone passage at the end of which the man said here are the stairs and mounting about twenty steps they came to the upper story of the building it seemed as far as the young gentleman could judge a strange rambling sort of place with rooms on the right hand and on the left and paved passages between them through several of which he was led till at length stopping suddenly oldkirk said i'll wait for you here go straight on sir till you see a light shining through the keyhole of a door just push that open and go in but don't be longer than you can help edgar followed his directions without reply and a moment after in the turn of the passage to the left he saw the light the man had spoken of not only shining through the keyhole but through a chink of the door which was ajar pushing it open as he had been told to do he took a step forward and a scene unpleasant and even painful was before him the room was a small square chamber lined with squalid panelling and floored like the rest of the building with stone the rain of the preceding night had come through the roof at one corner staining the ceiling and the walls there was but one window covered not only with a large movable shutter formed of planks of wood but with a blanket pinned up with two forks so as to prevent the slightest ray of light from finding its way out through the crevices the air felt hot and close although there was neither fire nor fireplace and the night was cold in one corner was a bed of the most humble description without curtains and by its side stood a chair and a table the latter supporting several phials partly filled with medicine and a teacup as well as a solitary tallow candle with a long unsnuffed wick set in a large dirty tin candlestick the bedding seemed to consist of a mattress or palliasse part of which was apparent two or three coarse rugs and a sheet and an ill-fitted bolster doubled up to support the head as soon as edgar entered the room the form of a man raised itself slowly and painfully up in the bed supporting itself on the right arm and a pair of hollow eyes gazed at him earnestly 
the head was surrounded with a bandage and the wild grey hair floated loose about it while beneath appeared a countenance full of intelligence but worn and haggard apparently with sickness and suffering the hue of robust health was totally gone and the pale yellow waxy tint of the skin seemed more sallow from a black plaster down one cheek and a grey and reddish beard of eight or nine days growth no one probably who had known norris in health would have recognized him at that moment and edgar adelon who had never seen him except once as a boy imagined at first that there must be some mistake association as it is called is perhaps one of the most extraordinary phenomena of the human mind not alone in the rapid power which it has of awakening recollection from the slumber of long years to the things of the past but in the strange difference of the means by which it is itself excited with one man it is a sight with another a sound with another an odour with another a taste which calls up suddenly scenes and circumstances and persons which have been long buried under the sand and rubbish of passing things in the course of years with edgar adelon the exciting cause in almost all instances was sound and the moment mr norris spoke he recollected his voice and the place where he had last beheld him and all that then took place flashed back upon his memory like a scene in a dream are you mr adelon demanded the wounded man the same answered edgar what not the boy who came to call upon mr sherborne with sir arthur adelon some six or seven years ago rejoined norris how you are changed greatly i believe replied edgar but you are very much changed too mr norris and i regret to see that the alteration has been effected by illness ay answered the other gloomily they have brought the strong man to infant weakness and the daring man to skulk in a hole like this if others had been as resolute and as vigorous the case would have been different but i have not regrets for myself mr adelon i regret that another opportunity has been lost for my country an opportunity which may never return i regret that my countrymen in their feebleness and their timidity have suffered the golden moment to slip from them after boasting that they were ready to seize it and to dare all odds to render it available to the common good they fled sir like a flock of sheep from a handful of men in red coats and i am almost hopeless of them i went down it is true almost at the first with a bitter wound in my side and my horse shot under me but if they had then rushed on high though they had trampled the soul out of my body they would have gained the day and i would have blessed them nevertheless the time may yet come and i will live for it only one success to give them confidence in themselves to knit them together to prove to them that they can fight and conquer if they will and all is secure it is the novelty of the thing that scares them and those frenchmen too who ran at the very first shot what do they deserve but i forget we are rambling from the point you seem to have been badly wounded indeed replied edgar as the sick man sunk back upon his pillow exhausted with the stern vehemence of his own thoughts but tell me mr norris have you proper attendance here such wounds as yours would need a skilful surgeon they were sharp ones answered norris and not few for i had just staggered up and was calling some few stout hearts around me when the cavalry dashed in amongst us one cut at me and gashed my cheek and another brought me down with a blow over the head they passed on thinking me dead 
and so I should have been very soon if that brave fellow, Oldkirk, had not dragged me away, and hiding me and himself in a dry ditch, bound up my wounds and staunched the blood. There has been many a man ennobled for a worse deed, but he will have his reward here or hereafter. The people here are very kind to me, too. I saved their little property for them one time, by the few scraps of law I ever learned, and they are grateful. It is a marvel as this world goes. I have a surgeon from a distant town, and I drink his drugs, and let him probe my wounds, and let him torture me as much as he will, not that I have any faith in him, but because it pleases the good people, who think that something is being done to serve me. I need no surgeon, Mr. Adelon, but nature and a strong constitution. Surgeons and lawyers, the craft is much the same. The one tortures and destroys the body, the other the mind. Both rascally trades enough. But let us think of other things. You have been seeking me. Why? I thought Oldkirk had told you, replied Edgar. I gave him all the needful particulars last night. He told me something of it, replied Norris, but not the whole. Besides, I forget. Lying here in this gloomy sickness, my thoughts wander over many things, like the dove in the deluge, finding no place to rest upon. Let me hear the business from your own lips. It is very simple, replied Edgar Adelon. A friend, for whom I have more deep regard than I feel for any man living, is accused of having killed the young Lord Hadley on the very night of the attack upon Barhampton. He went out from Brandon at about eight o'clock, and was followed by that lord. They were seen passing the lodge and walking on together in high dispute. Lord Hadley was brought home dead, having been struck off the cliff by someone, whom the coroner's jury choose to believe was my friend, not without some grounds, it is true. And Edgar proceeded to detail the evidence given, dwelling minutely upon the circumstances, in order to show Norris the danger of the position in which Dudley was placed. "'My friend,' he continued, "'declares that he went on to the very gates of Barhampton that night, "'that Lord Hadley parted from him at the spot where the path from the Grange crosses the high road, "'and that he never saw him after. "'He met several men near Mead's farm, it would seem, "'but we have reason to believe that there were others scattered along the whole line of road he took, "'and that some of them must have seen his parting from Lord Hadley, "'and be able to bear testimony to the fact. "'If you know, as we imagine,' who these men were, and can give me information so that their evidence may be obtained, I beseech you, Mr. Norris, to do so, for the lawyers who have been brought from London assure us that is the only hope of obtaining a favourable verdict for my friend, Mr. Dudley. "'Mr. Dudley, the friend of one of the name of Adelon,' replied Norris in a low, marvelling tone. "'That is a strange phenomenon. An Adelon strive to save a Dudley. That is stranger still.' "'But true, your mother's was kindly of blood. "'Is your father aware of what you are doing?' "'My father is in London, detained by business of importance,' answered Edgar. "'But I know to what you allude, Mr. Norris. "'Some quarrel existed in former years between my father and Dudley's, "'but that is no reason for enmity between their children.' "'A quarrel?' exclaimed Norris, raising himself again upon his arm. "'Do you know, Mr. Adelon, that your father ruined his?' "'Do you know?' "'But no, you do not. I will tell you. "'Dudley's mother was your father's first love. "'They had been rivals for honours at school, at the university, "'and then they became rivals for her hand. "'Sir Arthur was encouraged by the mother, "'but Charles Dudley was accepted by the daughter. "'He was successful here, as he had always been before, 
and your father is not a man to forget such things, sir. He ruined him, I say. It is false, exclaimed Edgar. It cannot be true. Not true, cried Norris. Do you dare to tell me it is not true? But this is all vain. Lying here, the veriest child might insult me at will. But I tell you, it is true, and I have the papers which prove it. He waited long for his revenge, but it came at last. He took advantage of a temporary pressure on his enemy, a pressure caused by his own acts, and offered in kindly words to lend money on a mortgage, merely and solely for the purpose of getting Dudley's title-deeds into his lawyer's possession, for that cunning lawyer had taught him that there never was a title in which a flaw could not be found. It was all done by his direction, all done for one object. The flaw was soon discovered, the title disallowed, the secret told to the next heir, and Mr. Dudley ruined. I can prove it step by step the whole machinations from the beginning to the end for that lawyer was my partner and the papers are now in my possession and you use them mr norris replied edgar with a mixture of anger and sorrow in his tone to force my father on in a course which might be his ruin do not talk of ungenerous conduct for surely this was not generous i use them sir replied norris sternly to keep him to principles which he had long before asserted to promote the deliverance of my country to favour the people's right i have since regretted perhaps that i did so for i am weak like other men and the result having been unfortunate may wish i had not employed the means which the object justified i ought to have given those letters to mr dudley and will do so now if he and i both live and now sir with that knowledge before you I will help you to save the young man, if you please. Edgar sat silent for a moment or two, with his eyes bent fixedly upon the wall, and Norris at last asked, What say you? Would you save him? Assuredly, replied Edgar Adelon with a start. Can you doubt it? Whatever be the consequences, can you suppose that I would hesitate to deliver my friend, or that I would see an innocent man suffer for a crime in which he had no share? "'Then you are one of the noble and the true,' replied Norris warmly. "'One of the few, the very, very few. "'Give me your hand, Mr. Adelon, "'and forgive me that I have pained you by such sorrowful truths.' "'Edgar gave him his hand, but turned away his head with a sigh, "'and Norris continued. "'That every word I have uttered is true, you shall have proof,' he said. "'If I live, I will show you those letters.' "'No,' answered Edgar sharply. "'I will not look into one page of them.' he is my father sir whatever he may have done to me he has no faults nor would i willingly see any in his conduct to other men if you will aid me to prove dudley's innocence mr norris i will thank you most deeply but say no more to me of my father or my father's acts so be it answered norris to mr dudley's business then first be sure he did not kill lord hadley i may know or at least guess who did but of that I can prove nothing. Secondly, there was but one man, as far as I recollect, near the spot where the two roads cross. My memory of that night is somewhat indistinct indeed, but there may have been two. One, certainly, was Edward Lane, the blacksmith. The other, a man named Harris, living near Barhampton, but I am not sure of his station. Seek out Lane first, and tell him I sent you to him with my request that he will voluntarily tender his evidence he must make some excuse for being there at that hour of the night 
he is resolute and bold but somewhat wrong-headed and you may have trouble with him though i think my name will satisfy him the other man will tell you at once if he was there or not if you but say that i desire it tell mr dudley for me too that i regret much what has happened and that i cannot serve him farther you say that he went as far as the gates of barhampton i know not what could bring him thither and assuredly i did not see him there but that is no marvel for i have much to do he went upon a kindly errand mr norris replied edgar and certainly was there for he said it and dudley's word is not to be doubted but i will detain you no longer to-night as you seem exhausted and perhaps our conversation has been too long already i thank you much for the information you have given me and i am sure dudley will be grateful also thus saying the young gentleman shook hands with the sick man and left him End of chapter twenty four